Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Yay! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and all pals of all stripes. We are doing it again. We are here. We are. Yes, doing it again. We're here. We're Uh, sweaty. We have switched sweatiness. It is now no longer sweaty in the pod cave. The pod cave is back to its cool, controlled, uh, very expensive air conditioning. It is back to the pod wine cellar that it normally is. Exactly. It's it's back and it's it's as glorious as ever. Um now, of course, as is tradition, David's air conditioning has broke, so now one half of this podcast must remain sweaty at all times. Um sweaty I don't pod, make the rules. Sweaty pod. I don't make the rules. But that being said, this is a very special sweaty pod because guys, yes. gals, everybody, it's episode sixty nine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we've done it. We've done it. It's episode sixty nine of Black Reconstruction, um, and I, I'm telling you, I'm ready to, I'm ready to dive in and read. But David, do we have any current events before we jump in and, and get to this? Oh reading? my goodness! Um, I honestly, there probably are a few important ones, and I've been so inundated with being sweaty that I, my brain nope. is not anywhere near. That will happen. The one thing that, that. I, that I have been seeing, and I need to do a better job. The, uh, the collapse of the Miami apartment building, the high-rise building in Miami oh, that collapsed yeah, and is I, very I, likely... I barely heard about that because it has not been widely covered, but I did hear yeah, something right about that. Yeah, right now there's one details? confirmed dead, but 99 missing at least. Um, there's very Holy likely... Lord. So this yeah, is a lot it, like Grenfell except collapse instead of fire type Instead thing. of fire, yes. It's very... I would, I would put it on a very similar scale. There's reports coming out now that it's been sinking since the late 90s. Um, oh, Jesus. So they've obviously known about this. This is going to be a giant. I, I, I can't wait for the, the investigation and then eventual complete cover-up of this. I don't, I don't know how there this. hasn't been more coverage of this, honestly. It, I mean, it's, it's I really have starting to pop up, and it's going to take over. Yeah. Um, also, I've been, I've been keeping a mild track just of, and it appears that the, um, once again, the number of unmarked or or unmasked graves of residential schools has been rising once again yes Um, new ones are being Um, discovered um and this is there was i mean just that that's one again my brain was just not working from the sweaty but that is that is a very important one so um residential schools this is something that's not unique to canada this is also something that is is uh, part of the united states but but specifically the strategy of residential schools very widespread in Canada. Um, these are these are assimilation, um, essentially assimilation camps, where lots and lots and lots of children like never came home, right? Yep. And it was like, okay, well, they alive? Did they go off to some other family? You know what is going on? And there was one that was found what a month ago with mm-hmm. over two hundred unmarked. Um, or a mass grave with a, a mass grave with over 200 uh, bodies of children. Now another one has been found with 700 unmarked graves. Now, mind you, this is you know this is traumatic for your indigenous friends and comrades. So this is something that's very important to talk about. But make sure you're talking about it with respect and, and understanding that uh, you know. I mean, this is people seeing genocide of their peoples in front of their face. One of the many, many forms of it that has happened across this continent. Um, and so just like with, you know, missing murdered indigenous women, uh, girls in two spirit, 
day. Uh, this is another instance where we need to talk about this with um, deep respect, but we also need to definitely, you know, I mean, raise awareness, educate people, investigate this. I mean, these are hundreds and hundreds of children that died supposedly going to a school, which tells you exactly how, you know, the term residential schools, and I don't, I don't know what best to call them, um, or where this very worthwhile argument is appropriate, because again, the, the input should come from indigenous people, but it's also very, very painful for them to, to have to talk about. Um, but so I'm not sure what they should be called, but obviously calling them residential schools is kind of akin to calling them internment camps when you're talking about the concentration camps uh, the Japanese people were shoved into in World War II, um, or, you know, calling them um, immigrant holding facilities for the concentration camps along the border today. Um, and we're talking, you know, hundreds. I mean, really, when you realize how many schools there are out there and that this is over 900 graves found just in two and, and you know, notoriously children never came home. We're talking thousands upon thousands of victims of this. And, and that's not counting the victims of assimilation that were sent back. Um, and so it's it's something that we deeply, deeply need to rewrap our language about. It's definitely something that we need to investigate and hold people accountable about. And of course, accountability is only going to come uh, in a revolutionary form um, in the process of giving land back to indigenous people. And uh, so it's just, you know, another reason to fight for land back. And it's another reason to fight in this anti-imperial struggle. It's another reminder that, you know, it, we've said it, I don't know how many times, right? Capitalism is the economic system birthed from colonialism, right? Um, so it is, it is the base, but the true base, the truest of true bases is colonialism. The truest of true private po- property that makes the world go round is land, is privatizing land, which takes eradicating people from. And eradication is incredibly destructive and violent. Um, and so, you know, we need to understand that. And this is exactly why we need to fight for land back and why there is no such thing as being a socialist on, in, um, what is currently known as North America, US, Canada, whatever, unless you are fighting for land back. Amen. Uh, okay. On that. Oh, so uh, upbeat note. We are going to launch into the work for this week. Uh, we are back. Episode 69 of Black Reconstruction. We are in a chapter border and frontier, and we are starting th- uh, halfway down page 539 in 1868. The Negroes of Richmond organized the Virginia Home Building Fund and Loan Association. And in 1875, there was a land and financial association chartered by the legislature to purchase land in small parcels for Negroes. It is estimated that during the late 60s and early 70s, Virginia Negroes bought between 80,000 and 100,000 acres of land, and there were many individuals who owned considerable quantities. Schools were started at Hampton and Norfolk and were greatly extended by the Freedmen's Bureau. Two political factions now appeared, one consisting of the planters and a few Negroes, and the other of the liberals, Negroes, and northern and native whites. Honeycutt became a radical champion. At an Emancipation Day celebration held in Richmond, 1867, Honeycutt spoke. 
He urged the Negroes to register in order to vote in the fall elections. Where they were organized, he said, they should elect a loyal governor and loyal congressman. Negroes were advised not to support white men who had opposed their liberty. Union men also should be tested. Those refusing to sit in a constitutional convention with Negroes should not be supported for office. Negroes who voted for rebels invited the... Yeah. Negroes who voted for rebels invited the... perpetuity of the whipping post, the chain gang, and the vagrant law. Honeycutt regarded with suspicion the praise of Negroes emanating from journals which formerly abused and ridiculed them. He counseled unity of action among the blacks and expressed the hope that whites and Negroes might live together in harmony. I, Republican- I do like, too, that Honeycutt regarded with suspicion praise from them coming from journals that formerly abused and ridiculed them, right? This is like yeah. if the New York Times suddenly comes out with some anti-imperialist cause and it's like, wait a minute, you know. Um, Hang on now. Yeah, or current events, uh, a current event that, that is suddenly getting popular um, that means a lot more to disabled people broadly, um, not just to the very rich celebrity ones, but is something that's happening. It's, it's very popular for people to understand that, uh, you know, Britney Spears was, uh, has been, you know, abusively, um, controlled with, uh, I suddenly can't think of the name. Conservatorship. Conservatorship. Thank you. Um, which is not, not just something that rich celebrities are subject to, of course, uh, that happens even more so to, uh, disabled people who are poor and disabled people of color. Um, and, you know, conservatorship is just one form of violent systemic ableism. And yet you saw in this, as the public turns to support Britney Spears and support the wrongdoing, everyone from Justin Timberlake to Paris Hilton to us, Mag Weekly, to everyone who is like widely responsible for, you know, doing the ableist attacks and painting her as, as crazy and destroying her reputation and, and getting the public on board. Uh, with what wound up being her conservatorship, uh, is now suddenly the, the one supporting her. And it's like, why, why would you buy that bullshit, right? And so this is that on a much more pertinent and violent and less individualistic scale. Good tieback. Good tieback. A Republican state convention was held April 10th, 1867. Some of the Negroes were intelligent-looking men and neatly attired. There were 210 delegates, including 160 Negroes. The Negroes took an active part in the convention. Many wanted land confiscation and distribution, yeah, but some opposed it. Boo. Fields Cook, a Negro of Richmond, especially one of the Negro, warned the Negroes against any ill-advised measures approving confiscation. The resolutions thanked Congress, advocated public schools and universal suffrage, and made special effort to attract the white laboring class. Oh, goody. We know how well that works out. Honeycutt denied that he had given the Negroes advice detrimental to the whites. He asserted that the Negroes were the bone and sinew of the land, but the pay they received was inadequate. This was an imposition that should not be permitted to continue. He opposed a white-landed aristocracy. He opposed injustice to the Negroes in the courts. Whites, he said, were not executed for murdering, but Negroes were hanged for killing whites. Negroes were killed for far less than killing whites. Also, let's let's be clear. Yeah. Yeah. Honeycutt opposed the restriction of the state to native white control. He asserted that Pierpont was a political disloyalist and should not be trusted. He flayed the legislature, stating that its sentiment was attested in the passage of the vagrant law, galling alike to poor whites and Negroes. Summing up his contentions, Honeycutt stated that he did not desire to place Negroes above whites, but he believed that whites and Negroes should be accorded exactly equal rights. Oh, the, the humanity. 
The ascendancy of Honeycutt was feared in the North. The New York Tribune spoke against it, and Senator Wilson of Massachusetts was sent to Virginia to counteract him. On the other hand, the planters began to threaten economic prescription against Negroes if they did not work and vote with the white natives. But cooperation was made difficult by Negro agitation for civil rights on streetcars and on juries, which incensed the reactionaries. The freedmen arranged a political meeting at Amelia Courthouse where prominent whites and Negroes spoke. Consequently, the Republicans became more and more divided. Moderate Republicans tried to organize and leave out the Honeycutt faction. They held a meeting at Charlottesville. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Speaking of, of current events, that one's a few years old. Whoops-a-doodles. Uh-oh. That's no good. Um, in July, an elected delegates to a convention in Richmond. Meetings for cooperation among blacks and whites were held throughout the state. The Richmond meeting was held in the African Baptist Church and was completely captured by Honeycutt. This defeated cooperation. In the registration, 225,000 persons registered, of whom 120,000 were white and 105,000 were Negroes. The whites had majorities in 52 counties and the Negroes in 50 counties. The election took place October 18th, 19th, and 20th, 1867. The whites cast 76,000 votes and the Negroes 93,000 votes. The call for a convention was authorized. The planters had 33 delegates, the liberals 72 delegates, and among the latter were 25 Negroes. Honeycutt was arrested for inciting the Negroes to insurrection but released on bail uh the reactionary press boldly advocated prescription of negro labor and the discharge of workmen who supported the liberal cause 150 negroes employed in iron mines were discharged because they voted for the radical ticket lewis Lindsay said to this that before any of his children should suffer for food the streets of richmond richmond should run knee deep in blood and he thanked god that the negroes had learned to use guns pistols and ramrods Commenting on this, the editor of the Inquirer deplored that the capitalist was threatened with murder if he dared to discharge men who had declared themselves his implacable enemies. He is to house, feed, and cherish the black vipers who meet in midnight conclave and not content with heaping foul epithets upon him, conspire to defraud him of his property. Undaunted by the presence of the military, the Negroes openly avow sentiments which deserve death upon the gallows. Well, this is getting um, a little this is escalating quickly. It, it 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 is, and and you know what I mean. Again, you know the the black people are absolutely right, hundred percent in this situation. But this is definitely escalating. You don't usually hear this kind of open language, um, unless you're building up to a war, and, and this already had the war, and as we know, didn't turn back into another one, World War One, World War Two style. Um, yeah. And so this is kind of interesting, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to try to digest here. Um, the Pittsburgh Index, or the sorry, Petersburg. The Petersburg Index, asserted the Negroes are the last men who should complain if their white employers were to discharge them and supply their places with white men. Ah, oh, gotta love just the bub, racism. Bub, just bub, 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 bub. Who, mm, who would be the first men to complain if the Negroes are the last? I'm just curious. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess, uh, I guess that would be like the first men to complain should be the. Uh, the white people, if they get their jobs replaced by black people, I think that's the I, I don't racist know, implication. That's, that, the whole sentence makes no sense. Yeah, it really doesn't. Uh, the Lynchburg Virginian said, they, the native whites, I still hate that term. Hate uh, that sh- term. 
should concert measures without delay to fill the state with white laborers from the north and from Europe. They must crowd the Negro out. They must rid the state of an element that will hinder its prosperity, an element that, under the influence of base white demagogues, themselves without property, would tax the property of others to relieve themselves of obligation to educate their children and care for their paupers. We live yeah. in a society. <laughs> a white man's convention was held in Richmond, November 11th. Uh, it appeared to the North not to permit appealed. the, uh, I'm sorry, appealed to the North not to permit the disgrace of Negro suffrage to be inflicted upon the state and urged the organization of the party to bring the state under white man's government. This is just so nice. Gotta Was this it. before or after the war they just fought over this exact this issue? This is 1867. I'm so that's after the war. I'm um, confused then. The Constitutional Convention with 105 members met in Richmond, December 3rd, 1867. There were 35 reactionaries and 65 liberals and five doubtful. I do like terminology because this is really, again, in a heated moment where it was all the more pivotal because the opportunity was there, the explicit racism was more on the cusp and and lashed out even harder rather than just being built um, kind of in the background of the system totally the way it is today. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm not saying that like now is even more so of this, but I am saying that the more things change, the more they stay the same, as we've said many times in this book. And in that case, it is nice that, that they're getting labeled like the planters and the liberals or the reactionaries and the liberals, because these are, you see the parties as they are now, right? Like you have one party where all the support base is you know, comes from black populations, and then all the white people in the party just stab them in the back. And then the other one that are, like, fear-mongering, like, oh, they're trying to kill us. How could we let them have any power? Like, what what kind of monsters are these? And it really paints a picture of exactly what Democrats and Republicans are today. Oh, yeah. Oh, Once yeah. again, just in a different way, because we're talking about a different subject within it. Um, among the liberals are 25 Negroes. The native press ridiculed the convention, calling it the Convention of Kangaroos and the Black Crook Convention. That's totally not racist. No! Uh, <laughs> the convention began work in January and first took up a Bill of Rights with a statement of the natural equality of men. How dare they? Uh, with the first section of the preamble was brought up for discussion on January 6th, 1868. James W.D. Bland, colored, moved that in the place of the word men, in the clause that all men are by nature equally free and independent, as reported from the committee, be substituted the words mankind, irrespective of race or color. Mr. Bland said, when I recollect that the word men, as written in the first section, has been construed to mean white men only in Virginia, and as the word mankind takes in all men, women, and children on earth, I propose that this amendment, as men upon this earth, are of different races and colors, and we here propose a Bill of Rights for the people of Virginia, will make no distinction. I think it right and proper that we should state distinctly what we mean by mankind and what we mean by men. I do like Mr. Bland, and I like exactly how he's explicitly attacking the language because you know that's something we've been talking about the whole book right like a lot of people appeal to the language like this is supposed to be the the land of freedom and equality and he just looks right at it and, and he's plain about it he's like by men you mean white men and so we're just going to change that word makes sense 
Uh, Mr. Bain, another Negro, replied, I rise to state emphatically that when I was elected to the convention, I pledged the good people, my section, that I should endeavor to aid in making a constitution that should not have the word black or white anywhere in it. I told them that I wanted a constitution which our children 15 years hence might read and not see slavery, even as a shadow remaining in it. I am here to carry out that agreement. All 100 that- years later, how'd that work out? Yeah, uh, all that was necessary in my judgment for this nation to do to abolish slavery was simply to place men in power that would interpret that constitution as an anti-slavery instrument. It never was, which I always believed it was. Okay, you believed wrong, buddy. Um, The word slave was not found in it, but bad men in the nation and bad men in power placed such wicked constructions upon it that it worked to death to the nation, and that is the cause for our being here today. Um, I think I, I, uh, empathize. I mean, I obviously empathize with what Mr. Bain was going for, but I just ragged on that in praise of Mr. Bland. Um, I, I think the materialist outlook and the, the care to language of, of Mr. Bland here is definitely the side I, I lean on myself. Uh, the convention discussed free public education and held long debate on the matter of race separation in schools. The Negroes especially insisted upon mixed schools, and the final report made no specific reference to whether the schools were to be mixed or segregated. When the debates over mixed schools were in progress, Bain proposed an amendment to the committee's plan so as to place blacks and whites in the same schools. The amendment failed to get the support of enough radicals to be adopted in spite of the efforts on the part of Negro delegates and the threats of Bain, Lindsay, Hodges, and others that if we're not supported by the white radicals, the Negroes would withdraw from the Republican. Republican Party. And these are supposed to be the white radicals, I guess. These are supposed to be the Charles Sumner types. Uh, And they're not seeming very radical. (laughs) Um, The suffrage was the paramount question. The liberals stood for universal suffrage, while the reactionaries declared that government was the prerogative of white men. (laughs) This is a white thing, so only white people should do it. That is one hell of a racist take, considering that it was modeled basically exactly off the Iroquois Confederation. Uh, Mr. Bain said, does the gentleman mean that the black men are not to have any rights in this country? Does he mean to set us free today and in 50 or 60 years to come, then give us the right of suffrage? Yes, that's exactly what they mean to do, and they're going to do exactly that. I want it distinctly understood that the old slaveholders coach moves too slow for us. They designed to enslave the blacks again if they can. They designed to make him a slave by cutting him from all opportunities for labor, by starving and oppressing him. Set the Negro free now and let him remain here. No, that is too much for him. He will enjoy it too much. A hundred years to come will be time enough for him to have these rights. In order to carry out their ideas and designs, they have commenced just like they did with secession. They are preaching the danger of a war of races in this hall. They are preaching it in Congress, in the cities, and over the country, in the streets and on the seas, on the steamboats, in the cars, in the taverns, and everywhere. This war of races is being preached up constantly, but nobody preaches it up from the side of the House, which hates the Republican Party and hates the federal government. Louis Lindsay, a Negro, said, We want to give to the poor classes in this state, blacks and whites, every right to which they are entitled, and we will go home satisfied. I want this black race to have every right that is conferred upon every other man. See, Louis Lindsay, cool. Um, Good. 
Yeah. Got it. Got it pretty good. Mr. Bain yeah. said in one breath, he tells the convention that this boon is given to us by the blessed providence of God. And in the next, he says that the Northern fanatics have clothed us with these rights in the, if Northern fanatics are the means with God wishes to confer upon us these rights, I will take the rights, whether they or the devil brought them to us. I know that we have them. There is no power on earth or in hell that can deprive the black man of his right to vote. The economic problems appear in many guises. One resolution was introduced. Resolved that the Committee on Limitations and Guarantees, when appointed, be entrusted to consider and report the propriety or impropriety or incorporating in the proposed Constitution a provision clothing the General Assembly with power to declare and punish as a misdemeanor the discharge of any person employed as a laborer on account of his political opinions. Hey, look, you can't get fired for having different political opinions. That's a nice uh, a nice one to put mm. in there. I like it. Yeah. Mr. Bain said, that, uh, I cl- oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a little too universal both direction for me, knowing this country, but also that uh, that doesn't happen today. I mean, let's face it. You you go out and you say how communist you are at work. That's a good way to not work there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Bain said, I claim to be an ignorant man, one not wholly acquainted with this kind of work. I give this convention notice that unless they settle the question mentioned at this time and in the commencement of the sessions, we ignorant men will settle it ourselves and to satisfy ourselves. If we are to be bound and obligated at this time, let us know it. Mr. Mayor, Mary, Mary White asked, why is it that the cry is coming up from the colored men actually now taking the form of a petition to Congress that they cannot get employment because the white people hustle them out of it? Mr. Bain answered, will the gentleman allow me to answer his question? The colored people will not work because the employers do not pay them. Six dollars a month will not pay a man and feed his and clothe his wife and children. Former Confederates were disenfranchised by a test oath and for participation in the rebellion as officers. The Constitution was adopted by a vote of 51 to 36, only one Negro voting against it. The reactionary members of the convention joined in a statement. For nearly five months, we have patiently sat in this convention. Oh, this is going to be good. I'm I'm already. For nearly five (laughs) months, we have patiently sat in this convention, listening to the Ecomiums upon the Negro race to wholesale denunciations against the whites of the South, to propositions and speeches leveled against property and addressed to the cupidity of enfranchised slaves suddenly invested with the controlling power in the state. It was the subject of remark among us during the progress of the convention, said they, that the Negroes grew more and more impracticable. The reported debates of the convention will show how active they gradually became in the proceeding of the body. This constitution was especially opposed because the test oath, if you're trying to look up any of these words, don't bother. They use like 12, $12 words there, and I don't care about any of them. They're okay, cool. bullshit. This constitution was especially opposed because the test oath went further than congressional legislation. It was provided for the reorganization of counties, which in- interfered with the rule of certain families who had dominated various county governments. Income taxes were imposed on incomes over $600, a poll tax on all males, and a homestead exemption. Civil and political rights were guaranteed and a system of free public schools. Voting on this constitution was postponed by the military commander, General J.M. Schofield, who was hostile to it and refused to let money for the election be taken from the state treasury. The election, therefore, could not be held until Congress made an especial appropriation. Political parties, nevertheless, began to prepare for the election and the Republican nominated H.H. Wells... <laughs> the, one, the one that came right before H.G. Wells in the order of, of how you do it. 
over Honeycutt. The Conservative Party condemned the abominable Constitution and nominated Withers, a Confederate. Oh, come on. That just sounds like an evil name. A Confederate colonel. Oh, there you go. Never mind. Yeah, does what it says on a 10. Withers pledged himself to fight Negro suffrage and said, I appear before you as the standard bearer of the white man's party. I do not ask for the support of the Negroes, nor do I expect it, for I consider them unfit to exercise the right of suffrage. Well, just come out and say it, my man. Just, just don't hold back. In the meantime, the Republicans appealed to Congress and the House of Representatives passed a bill to hold the election in August 1868 and afterward another bill to hold it in May 1869. But the Senate would not assent. Meantime, more moderate men in Virginia proposed that Negro suffrage be accepted, but that the new Constitution be rejected. This led to a convention in December in Richmond, which stated that while it did not believe in Negro suffrage, it would accept it. Oh, good. How benevolent. A committee went to Washington and also we'll, a Republican we'll deal party. deal with your humanity, goddammit. A committee went to Washington and also a Republican Party committee was sent. They appeared before the committee of 15. Finally, the Republicans held a new convention, again nominating Wells, but with him as lieutenant governor, a Negro, Dr. J.D. Harris. The convention split and the seceders nominated a white man, Walker, for governor. President Grant ordered an election to be held July 6th, 1869, with a separate vote as to the test oath and disenfranchisement of Confederates. The reactionary supported Walker, and the ensuing campaign turned entirely on the Negro. Walker was elected, the whites casting 125,000 votes, Negroes 97,000 votes. Harris was defeated by a vote of 99,000 to 120,000 for his white opponent. The disenfranchisement and test oath clauses were rejected, but the Constitution was ratified. Among the white people, there was a great rejoicing over the result. The Petersburg Index said Virginia has accepted restoration, has rebuked prescription, has vindicated her right to a voice in the control of her affairs, and by a vote unprecedentedly large, places at the head of the government a ticket of peace and equality. The Danville Register said, let us now all go to work, white and colored, looking forward, hopefully, to a just and liberal system of legislation and an impartial administration for the protection of all alike. The Lynchburg Virginian said the deluded Negroes have taught a lesson which will bring them to their senses and we shall have no more trouble with them. The Norfolk Journal rejoiced that Virginia was redeemed, regenerated and disenthralled. David, please read before I break something. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just a second there. You notice how many times they just used equality to mean white people having more rights than black people because that's equality in their minds. Um, the colored conservative Republican, oops, uh, group sought to encourage the depressed Negroes and appealed to the whites not to take economic revenge upon the Negroes and drive them away from their jobs because they had voted in accordance with their convictions. October 5th, the General Assembly came together and ratified the 14th Amendment, but the liberal Republicans continued dissatisfied and declared that the election held in July resulted in a Confederate triumph and was achieved by artifice, intimidation, and fraud. They tried to keep the federal government from admitting the state, but Grant recommended its admission and Virginia was restored February 8, 1870. The new constitution was on the whole an excellent instrument. Taylor says that it gave Virginia the only democratic instrument a government it has ever had. In spite of some of its cumbrous provisions and its perfect imperfect machinery the underwood constitution was as far ahead of that of the old regime or of that of the present virginia caste system as a modern steamship is from a canoe such an innovation of course stuck the re reactionaries as a disaster destructive of all the gods had ordained and equitable and just 
an Englishman in 1870, said the legislature, I counted among the delegates, he said, three or four colored men, one of whom was a pure Negro. They very very well attired and displaying not more jewelry than the gentleman might wear, while another seemed to have some white blood in his veins. That's so classy, he must have been white. Uh, was quite masculine-looking person, both physically and mentally. How are you masculine-looking mentally? How are what you the mentally f- masculine? Jesus. The Senate was presided over by the lieutenant governor of the state, who was altogether like a young member of the British House of Lords, as the Senate itself had a country gentleman sort of air not perceptible in the lower house, which more resembled a town council or a parochial board than a house of commons. Why, why is the word commons in there if that's, that's not the low people thing? Like, Jesus, fuck you, British people. Um, there were two colored senators among the number, quite black, but sen- senatorial enough, and like, why is there a butt? God there, damn Oh, there has to be a butt. Except, he's he's black, except that he's a good guy. Like, I just... Arr. Oh, oh, no, keep reading. Oh, God, the next sentence. Oh, God, the and next like sentence. And like men who in Africa would probably have been chiefs. And the lower house... Colored Hold delegates. on! Don't blow past that I one. Can't, I don't want to sa- talk about that when it hurts. It's so bad. It's so bad. Fuck this British dude. In the lower house, the colored delegates mingled freely with the other members, but in the Senate, those two sat in cor- in a corner by themselves. Here then was a state in which the Negroes had no. Oh, wait, wait. Hold on. Let's go back a second. Is that saying that? That the uh, the was he saying the Senate was above the lower house, and that yeah. was the one that was the one where the the black people were separated. Correct. Oh God, fuck that guy. All right, here then in, was a state in which the Negroes never had control, and nevertheless, its chief difficulty under white control was the progressive piling up of an enormous debt, which in January 1872 amounted to forty three million six hundred ninety thousand. Nothing illustrates better that the this then this the fact that there was no necessary connection between debt and negro control the subsequent history of virginia for many years was the question of paying or repudiating this debt meantime gradually the negroes were disenfranchised by continued economic pressure by appeals from their white friends and connections and by force and fraud i'm gonna take over here only because this is my ancestral homeland uh so i am going to read on the the sing the song of my people Arkansas had 12,597 whites and only 1,676 Negroes in 1820. In 1860, it had 324,000 whites and 111,000 Negroes. There was a brief military rule in Arkansas under John S. Phelps in 1862, followed by a year of civil war in 1863. Then came four years of civil state government under Governor Murphy, 1864 to 67. In 1867, the civil government was subordinated to a military regime under Brigadier Generals of the United States Army. Then came the Republican government under Powell Clayton in 1868 to 71 and four additional years of Republican rule after, which came the revolution in which the Republicans were driven from power by the local Democrats. Democrats assisted by Republican influences at Washington. Gotta love those Republican influences at Washington. Gotta love them. At the outbreak of the Civil War, the Negroes resided mainly in the lowlands, where most of the plantations were located. During the war, the slaves remained with their masters until the federal military operations of 1863 took place in sections containing the largest numbers of Negroes. All the territory along the White River, from Pea Ridge to Helena and westward to Little Rock, came under federal control. 
and the southern counties and lower, Arkansas, were also were captured. The Negroes in these sections then began to enter the federal lines in large numbers. A group of Union sympathizers determined to reorganize the state and sought Lincoln's cooperation. He cautiously gave it under his military power, but the group went ahead boldly, holding a a convention in January 1864, adopted a constitution, and elected Isaac Murphy governor. Two senators were sent to Washington, but Congress called a halt on this summary action and would not admit them. In 1866, he returned Confederates practically to took charge. He returned Confederate. The returned Confederates practically took charge of the Murphy government and sent a commission to Washington to confer concerning the condition of the state. The most important change in the Constitution during this time was the abolition of slavery and the prohibition of indenture of any Negro except as an apprentice. Some of the leaders preferred permanent despotism to restoration under Negro suffrage. That sounds about like what I understand of of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, General Albert Pike said Negro suffrage would make a hell on earth, a hideous, horrid pandemonium filled with the devils of vice, crime, pauperism, corruption, political debauchery, social anarchy. Meantime, congressional reconstruction was begun. Registration began in May 1867, but progressed slowly. A few whites told the Negroes registration was for the purpose of enrolling them for taxes, but the Freedmen's Bureau sent out agents to instruct them in the purpose of voting. The total number of registered voters in Arkansas was 66,041,000 4- voted at the election, and of those, 27,000 voted for and 13,000 against holding a constitutional convention. Upon these figures, General Ord announced the names of delegates elected to the convention. The Arkansas Constitutional Convention convened January 7, 1868 in the city of Little Rock and adjourned February 14, 1868. There were eight Negro delegates to the convention. J.W. Mason, Richard Samuels, William Murphy, Monroe Hawkins, William Gray, James T. White, Henry Rector, and Thomas P. Johnson. Hempstead County had one Negro out of four delegates. Jefferson, one out of four. Lafayette, one out of two. Phillips and Pulaski each had two out of four. Of the Negro delegates, one was postmaster, two were farmers, four ministers, and one a planter. Seipert, leader of the white conservatives, proposed in the Convention of 1868 the adoption of the Constitution of 1864. Seipert claimed to be a friend of the Negro. He had a Freedmen's Bureau agent for, he had been a Freedmen's Bureau agent for a while and had always been desirous of advancing the interests of this unfortunate race. He knew the Negro and all his attributes, that their people were now being misled. He appealed to the Negro members present. Mr. Brooks, white, interrupted to raise the point of order. It was disrespectful to style the gentlemen of the convention Negroes. Mr. Gray, colored of Phillips County, said he took no objection to the appellation. His race was closely allied to the race which built the Great Pyramids of Egypt, where slept the remains of those who learning had taught Solomon and like Solon. Not Solomon, Solon. Solon. You know, everyone knows who Solon is. And Lysurgis. To frame the systems of their laws in whom the present ages are indebted for the hints of art and knowledge. Mr. Seipert, white, said he was glad that the rebellion had been crushed. He was glad the Negro was free. But while he would have the Negroes protected as they are now by law and all their just rights, he would never consent to see them instructed with the elective franchise and made the rulers of white men. Mr. Gray of Phillips replied, I must confess my surprise at the actions of the gentleman from White County. I am here at the representative as the representative of the portion of the citizens of Arkansas whose rights are not secured by the ordinance offered by the gentleman from White. 
men, sir, who have stood by the government and the old flag in times of trouble when the republic trembled, and the thought of civil war from center to circumference, from base to cope. From this and other considerations, we are not here to ask charity at the hands of this honorable body, but to receive the hands of the people of Arkansas in the convention assembled the appointment of our rights as assigned by the Reconstruction Acts of Congress. And for for uh, Mr. Gray uh, brilliantly defending that it wasn't shameful to be black when he was talking about uh, not only the race that built the Great Pyramids of Egypt, but in the Great Pyramids was the people who had taught Solon and Lysurgis. Well, Solon and Lysurgis uh, apparently famously were the people who created the first laws in Sparta and Athens, respectively. So he was saying oh. not only these people that built the pyramids, but the original democracy, the great lawmakers that started the original democracies, learned from those same Egyptians. Let's not get carried away. Sparta wasn't exactly a thriving democracy. Well, I'll okay. put Assassin's Creed. Fair enough. How this but, goes. <laughs> but again, you know, I mean, in American mythology, it was, I you know, it. It. It, it's we were democratic and, and descend from Greece and Western civilization and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, why would I be sad from the people who built the pyramids and educated those guys? Dicks. I am here to see those rights of citizenship and grafted upon the organic law of this state. The gentleman from White does not seem to recognize the fact that the present Constitution is not in accordance. How did I just lose my place there? What? Not in accordance with the Constitution. I just completely lost my place. Like, completely. (laughs) It wasn't even close. Accordance with the Constitution of the United States, guaranteeing to each state a Republican form of government. The gentleman from White says the Negro cannot become a citizen. The fact is patent that we have exercised the rights of citizenship under the Constitution in all the states except South Carolina, and that we voted for that time-honored instrument, the federal Constitution, by voting for the men that ratified it. David, go ahead. Before the revolution, all native-born free persons were British subjects and hence citizens, as the British government did not base allegiance or citizenship on color or complexion. Hence, we passed from British subjects to American subjects without changing our relative status as to citizenship. This, I think, disposes of the the assertion that we cannot be citizens under the Constitution. But, sir... I claim that it is ours, not only on constitutional grounds, according to the rulings of distinguished American jurists, but ours by right of purchase on the numerous battlefields of our country. It is ours because from the revolution down to and through the rebellion, we have stood unswervingly by our country and the flag. We fought for liberty. That liberty cannot be secured to us without the right of suffrage. The government owes the debt, acknowledges it, and apportions it out among the several states. We are here, sir, to receive the amount due to us from the state of Arkansas. The troubles now on the country are the result of the bad exercise of the elective franchise by unintelligent whites, the poor whites of the South. I could duplicate every Negro who cannot read and write, whose name is on the list of registered voters, with a white man equally as ignorant. James T. White, a colored man, spoke on social equality. I can... I cannot think that the extension of the right of suffrage to colored men could be construed as opening the parlors of white people to a forcible entrance of colored men, but on the contrary, their virtue and pride of race will be a sufficient safeguard to prevent them from anything like social intercourse. Who is to blame for the present state of affairs? When I look around, I see an innumerable company of of mulattoes, not one of them the heir of a white woman. This is a fact. 
satisfactory evidence of the virtue of white women. In the late bloody war, these gentlemen left their wives and daughters in the care of colored men for years, and I defy the gentlemen to cite me a single instance where they have failed to live up to the integrity. Gentlemen, the shoe pinches on the other foot. The white men of the South have been for years indulging in illicit intercourse with colored women, and in the dark days of slavery, this intercourse was largely forced upon innocent victims, and I think the time has come when such a course should end. Mr. William Murphy, a colored man, said February 10th, when the late war resulted in issuing the Emancipation Proclamation by Abraham Lincoln, four millions of our enslaved brethren were called to aid in the establishment of this union of loyalty. For the colored troops have proved their loyalty, they protected the Union flag. So they stood, and white gentlemen have been compelled to surrender the sword. At the same time, they will rise here under the same flag after they have dropped their swords and their bayonets and seek to limit our privileges. I would never have spoken but to say this to the men that have been our masters, men who have brought to the very condition they are now in, and have not only fed them, but have clothed them, have tied their shoes, and finally have fought until they are obliged to surrender. Yet now that they have surrendered, they say we have no rights. Has not the man who conquered upon the battlefield gained any rights? Have we gained none by the sacrifice of our brethren? Concerning the adoption of the Constitution, James P. Johnson, a colored man, said, I believe this Constitution to be the best one Arkansas ever had. The gentleman from Ashley, Mr. Moore, has undertaken to show us the, that the class of men of whom he is representative are our best friends. My God, I hope he will put his hand over his mouth and never speak that word again. We are very much inclined to believe that the men who are trying to secure equal rights of voting according to the one true or according to the true Republican doctrine of the equal rights of all men, you do not want us to have any rights, but just let us say in slavery as we were before the war. Which makes sense, like if you're trying to enslave us, you're not my yeah. friend. <laughs> uh, James Mason, another yeah. colored delegate, read the following explanation of his vote, which he asked to have spread upon the journal. I object to the continued disenfranchisement of all persons who are now disenfranchised by the present Reconstruction Acts of Congress, and I believe many are now disenfranchised who ought not to be. But in the face of the reiterated assertions of gentlemen of conservative party that they are not to give us the right of suffrage under any circumstances, I am forced to accept this Constitution as being good as a whole and as being the best I can get under the circumstances and give up my ideas of limited disenfranchisement and quality and qualified suffrage. So is this person, I don't get it. Are they saying that, that yeah, um, the Confederates are earning their suffrage back with this vote? I guess is the idea too. I think so. I think that's so. what I think I'm reading. Uh, James white, the colored delegate added another reason why I shall vote and why I had 10,000 votes. I would give them all for the constitution is that I see it in principle that it is intended to elevate our families, the principle of schools, of education. That is the only way that these southern people can be elevated. They were properly educated, they would not be led from any prejudice to, the, to oppress other men. Were they educated, they would not hate us because they have been slaves. But like these gentlemen, if they should puzzle their brains and risk their lives upon the battlefield for the Union, they would stand up for our rights. Away with Union men who will not give all men their rights. Talk about friendship. The devil has such friends locked up, and hell is full of them. <laughs> Strong words. Um, yeah, no, they're not mincing them. 
Mm-hmm. In the course of convention sessions, a conservative taunted a carpetbagger with the assertion that the Negro vote was his only way to write into Congress. Thereupon, Negro members said that their race was ready both to vote and fight for the whites who would grant them political rights. Brooks, leader of the Radicals, declared, We, the great Republican Party, hold that they, the Negro, should have the ballot. And we intend that they should have it, and we will sustain the government based upon the principles of universal franchise and universal equality. On the other hand, Hinkle, a scalawag, exclaimed, Great God, is there no help for the widow's son? And asserted that all the devils in hell could not keep him from making himself a record by voting against adoption of the Constitution. Despite this, the final vote was 45 to 21 in favor of adoption. So this is another one of the scalawags who are uh, the the southern white uh, men who were supposedly uh, sympathetic to the north, but now don't seem to want to give black people the right to vote. Um, on April 1st, it was announced that the Constitution had been ratified by a vote of 30,380 to 41. That is a huge number. <laughs> That's not small. That's a little lopsided. On May 7th, a bill for the readmission of Arkansas was presented in Congress by Thaddeus Stevens. It was finally passed in both houses and over the president's veto on June 22nd, 1868. Before the bill was presented to Congress, however, the state legislature had met April 2nd, 1868 and adopted the 14th Amendment, which was one of the prerequisites to her admission. The Constitution of Arkansas, like that of Florida, was a document which centralized power in the state government. The governor appointed nearly all of the local officers in counties and townships, and he had all the power to fill vacancies, even in the few offices he did not originally fill. He appointed judges, collectors, assessors of taxes, justices of the peace, prosecuting attorneys, registrars of elections, and in turn appointed the judges of elections. Now, that's very important because, as we saw in Florida, that was a very specific way to uphold white supremacy. Because if you have a larger population of whites in the state, you win the election with the reactionaries, and then instead of black people being able to vote in their representatives and their judges and stuff in their areas, you get to appoint racist ones to oversee them and oppress them and hold them down. In in April 1867, a union convention at Little Rock nominated a state ticket and succeeded in electing Powell Clayton as governor. One Negro, John Payton of Pulaski County, was on the Committee of Resolutions, otherwise the Negro was not represented among the officials during this party convention. During 1868-1873, Clayton ruled Arkansas with an iron hand, while the Ku Klux Klan practically carried on a civil war. In 1869, the anti-Ku Klux Klan law of the Great Severity was passed, which prevented all secret political organizations and declared their members public enemies. Even the possession of a Ku Klux Klan costume was a criminal offense. Good. Good. Now, I'm curious as to what the costume was at the time, because I know the white hoods and stuff kind of came in the second iteration. That was the second. That was after uh, Birth of a Nation, which was yeah. So I don't know what these these first oh, costumes I just were. Birth of a Nation into my oh, I just fucked up my search history forever. Oh, why did I do that? Uh, Nineteen fifteen. Uh, yeah. Oh. Good luck, Nathan. Godspeed. Um, enjoy those YouTube recommendations. Uh, the law was sternly enforced, and the clan disbanded after a season of martial law. In February 1873, a severe 
uh, civil rights law was passed, which compelled hotels and places of public uh, amusement to admit colored people and ensured them equal school facilities and separate schools. Fines of $200 to $1,000 or imprisonment of up to 3 to 12 months were provided. Now, I do like a lot of this, again, you know, because we talked about the centralized power in Florida was a tool of white supremacy, and it could be here. We saw the higher white population, but immediately... One of the radical Republicans was elected, and you saw things like the Ku Klux Klan was just ousted, and you know uh, public admission and public places were opened up to black people. Um, so I think that's that's very good here, and centralization is a good way to to uphold power when you do have power. But it's it's always a way again to uphold power when you do have power. So if you haven't fully gotten a resolution and you're still in a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie in a white racist southern state, I feel like this is all going to come crashing down. Um, Officers of the law may be prosecuted for failure to enforce it, and prosecuting attorneys, sheriffs, coroners, justices of the peace, and even constables are to institute proceedings and are obliged to do so. Many of these officers throughout the state are colored men. I was told there had been but a single case under this act in which a saloon keeper was fined $25. I noticed that some drinking saloons had two bars, one for each color, but I also saw in several cases black and white men drinking together. The Negroes have shown no disposition to make the law offensive. Oh, the rulers of this, yeah, uh, the rulers of the state constituted a closed ring which had no Negro members, but its power depended on controlling the Negro vote and on the disenfranchisement of about twenty thousand of the former Confederates. Those disenfranchised were given the right to vote by a constitutional amendment in eighteen seventy two. In April 1874, a civil war broke out in Arkansas between Baxter, the regular Republican, and Brooks, a reform Republican. Each claimed to be governor. Baxter was recognized by the legislature, but Brooks took on possession of the state buildings by force. They appealed to President Grant. Grant refused to take part, but the federal forces prevented the two parties from fighting. Grant finally recognized Baxter as governor because the legislature had, and ordered the Brooks forces to disperse. A constitutional convention was held, which cut down the length of the governor's term and his power. Brooks now allied himself with the Democrats and declared that the constitutional convention had not been called, according to the law, and was the result of conspiracy. The Democratic convention nominated Garland. The Republican convention, not recognizing the election as lawful, made no nominations. Garland was therefore elected. Grant came to the conclusion that the constitutional convention was illegal and that Brooks was still governor, but Congress declared against federal interference. Finally, in 1874, the Democrats secured complete control of the state. So this was basically a coup. It sure as hell sounds that way. Uh, Arkansas, thus, was a contrast to Louisiana. Law and order conquered, but it conquered not for the purpose of giving the Negro any economic power, or in fact anything at all, except schools and the Civil Rights Bill. The government dictatorship was frankly capitalistic, and for the benefit of capital and the protagonists who represented it. Texas had, in 1860, 182,000 Negroes and 420,000 whites, thus putting the state among those where the Negro population was a decided minority, and white immigration destined greatly to increase the preponderance of the whites. The division of the planters and poor whites was less distinct in this state than in many others. There was plenty of rich land, and the poorest white men could get a start. This increased demand for labor." 
Texas was one of the southern states that had considerable prosperity during the war. She was outside the area of conflict, excellent crops were raised, and slave labor was plentiful. Many slaves were deported to Texas for protection, especially from Louisiana and Arkansas, so that Texas could furnish food and raw materials for the Confederate states. On the other hand, when and I the blockade- think that's where we're going to oh. stop for the week. Okay. Heading into Texas seems like a good place to stop. Yeah. 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 Sorry, David. <laughs> I know you were so eager to talk about Texas and all of all the fun things that Texas has to bring to us. But, I just, I'm just, uh, you, we're, I just, I was feeling like raging, and so it was Texas time. It's, it's, it's time. We will, we will get calm ourselves, take deep breaths, and get ready to read about Jerry Jones and all of his glory after, because <laughs> I assume he was around at this point. Um, oh, for sure, for sure. But in the meantime. This has been Mark's Madness Pod, and we read books, and there are a couple different ways that you can get a hold of us if you'd like to do that. Uh, one way is you can email us, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Another way you can get a hold of us is to hit us up on Twitter. We're at marksmadnesspod on Twitter. The last way you can get a hold of us is to join our Discord server, which is the Mark's Madness Pod Discord. It is currently linked in our Twitter bio, or if you don't want to go through that, you can absolutely email us, and we'll send you the link that way. Um, but that is another just great community that you can join where you can hang out. Um, I think we're I, I, I think we're watching videos this weekend, maybe. If so, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, jump in the Discord. We might be watching stuff. I don't know. I never know what's going on there. I'm just a pa- I'm just a dark passenger on this on this great journey we go on. Um, but that being said, it's disclaimer time. Oh boy, almost David. got out of it. Almost got out of you it. You almost got out of it, but I won't let you. <laughs> All right. Well, obviously, we started this podcast because uh, Nathan was wanting to read Capital, and that made a lot of sense when you read books of theory or history. It's good to read it in a group, especially. Um, a group of someone whose political views you trust, and that way, you know, you can have those discussions, get the most out of it, get the most context out of it, tie it back to today, how it relates to you, things like that. So, um, since the beginning of this, what our vision was, hopefully, you're out there organizing, and whatever party or group you're organizing with has their own political uh, education or reading group, and they're reading these books along with us, and we can be just another voice to further enhance that discussion. Save for that, save they're reading shorter works or a different work, or you know maybe something more pertinent to what you're organizing around. Um, hopefully then if you're reading this on the side, we can be your reading group. Uh, and then we can give that context and we can have that discussion and get the most out of this work for you. And save for that, whether it's a work that we kind of summarize uh, or it's something like this where we're essentially enhanced ebook, whatever we can do to make this theory more accessible to you. Because we want that theory out there guiding those actions. Obviously, that work you do uh, in those groups, what separates it from charity is putting the theory into action um, for political means. That's what we call praxis. Uh, and without praxis, there's no point to the theory. They go hand in hand. They're tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.